Just look at the fucking bums you hang around with. What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. over uh that was that was not a suave move welcome to that's deep bro i'm your host christina p thank you for downloading this episode uh very exciting i was very fired up to record this one i was just hot off the heels of recording uh my special but it, it led me into thinking of a lot of other topics and uh i answer a lot of emails and uh it's a goodie it's a good but before that let's get into some dates i am uh, going on, not on tour, I guess I'm just starting over, starting from scratch. September 22nd and 23rd, uh, St. Louis, Missouri at the at the Helium Comedy Club. So uh, get your tickets there at thousandranch.com. And uh, other than that, I've just got the comedy store. If you're in town, come see me. I'm usually uh, in the original room, 7.30 show on Saturdays. That's my jam. I just, I love a 7.30 audience just so civilized, you know, you just, you want to come, you want to watch comedy, you want to have a good time, but you also want to be home in time for House Hunters International. I agree with you. That's the same thing. Okay. Uh, Amazon shop using my banner, go to, uh, let's see, bropodcast.com. Click on the banner at the bottom of every post. Do your shopping as you normally would. It just helps the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, guys, let it rip. Here we go. Oh, 
my goodness. I sound like a real Midwestern mom there. Oh my gosh. The Beastie Boys. Come on. They're no, nobody better than these guys. Um, I was listening to an interview that Ad Rock did about the, what is a 25th year anniversary of Paul's Boutique, which is a great, it's a funny story because they were with Def Jam for their first album and then they went to Capitol Records to do Paul's Boutique, their second album, because Def Jam insisted that they remain like rappers, essentially. Like they were copying Run DMC on License Sale, their first album which was great. It was fantastic. And they're like, nah, dude, we don't want to do that again. We'll be one trick ponies. Don't, don't pigeonhole us. So they leave Def Jam. They go to Capitol Records. They make Paul's Boutique, which is a fucking amaze record. If you, if you haven't heard Paul's Boutique, get your life, download that shit now on iTunes, knowledge yourself because it's, it's fantastic. And it's such a departure from the first album. Anyways, long story short, Capitol Records gets a new boss and when Paul's Boutique is ready to be released, they don't give it any kind of love or publicity. And instead, they get behind the new Donny Osmond record because they're like, we're going to put all chips in on Donny, guys. Not the hip, new, young, uh, you know, punky rap group. Not the, well, not what's coming up, but what's going down. So they got behind Osmond. Obviously, who gives a shit? No one's talking about the 25th year anniversary of the Donny Osmond record that came out, but... So what? I, anyway, the point is being uh, the point being that these guys, you know, this is they're new in the the record business. They're young. They're like twenty years old. Um, their first record's huge. They decide to come to L.A., which is I didn't even realize how many records they actually did in L.A., which is why I fucking love them. Come on, dude. Did they reference Glendale Boulevard and all this shit? And they have a house in the Hollywood Hills, and they're three young dudes, and they found like a chest full of seventies clothes. So what do they do? They fucking put them on and they make videos of themselves being clowns in these seventies outfits. And of course, you know, all these great videos are born, um, with them being goofballs. And now what's really interesting is that Capitol records says to them, okay, so this new album's coming out. We're going to, um, take a photo shoot. We're going to do your photo shoot. And the beastie boys are like, no, that's okay. We've, you know, um, Adam bought this camera, Adam Yauch, who's now dead, but, uh, Adam Yauch apparently, was like had the fucking the the coolness to know about shit that nobody knew about like he always knew about the cameras is what they said about like there's this new 360 camera you can also film underwater and you know these three clowns just took this camera and they're like oh we'll just take pictures of ourselves in the the surrounding areas of like this hollywood hills house that we're renting and it ended up being like these fucking defining iconic images of the beastie boys these 360 like fish fisheye lens um, shots and they, it really defined their style. And, and what I find so appealing about that is the initiative, you know, I mean, how many times in life do, does anybody take the initiative and go like, no, nah, I don't want to take your fucking whack ass, uh, record company photos. Cause they were saying, I, I didn't know this about the industry, their industry, but you know, apparently they'll have you posing like doing corny shit and stuff. That's not you. And surprise that, you know, show business doesn't always know, creatively what's right for you and uh it's a it's a huge lesson in terms of like uh doing you right just do you bro like nah these three dudes um just had they took what what was given to them you know these wacky 70s outfits that they found in this house they were renting the woods around them if you look at the video for so what you want these guys are just jumping around and they're having fun and and it became like, you really feel the energy of, uh, of something like that. It's so fucking, it's so real. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good when you see people doing shit 
that they uh, they really feel. You know, you can't you can't uh, you can't manufacture that that kind of authenticity. And I say that about any band that you like. Mostly, you like an artist because of the authenticity, the the fucking real that just <laughs> ekes out. And you can't, oh, you, know, you can't fake that shit. So good, so good. So anyway, I'm on the other side. I filmed my special and it went amazingly. And I would like to thank everybody, everybody who showed up in Seattle and everybody that came and watched me prepare for this thing. And my God, even Burbank at the, the YooHoo room was packed with, with fans of your mom's house and that's Deep Row. And I cannot thank you enough, sincerely. It really, really means the world to me to have people familiar with who I am and what I'm about show up at these shows because I tell you, it's been 14 years of looking at blank expressions when I say crazy stuff on stage and uh, and I don't like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm really hoping the special broadens the audience so that even more people who get it show up. Um, and I'm, by get it, look, I, I mean, look, if, you're, if I'm not for you, that, that I don't care. It's not the point. Just God damn it. Like just Google me before you show up. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't go to a movie and just be like, what's playing? I don't know. Let's just go. <laughs> no, you, 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 you research people before you hopefully show up and spend an hour of your life with them and, and invest in a babysitter and nachos and, and shit like that. But, um, it went so well and, uh, I'm just so thrilled. And I got to, my husband came with me and we surprised the audience and had Tommy open for me on both shows and bring me up. And it was so special to have my husband there. And like, that was the best too. I, I, I really, I really don't know what I would do without my husband there. <laughs> Probably fucking spiral out and eat pancakes all day. And, uh, and just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It was, it was so nice to have companionship that was meaningful, you know, cause so often on the road, you're just alone. You're with like people that you don't really know that well. And that's, that's really the hard part of comedy is being, um, being alone a lot in, in different cities. I mean, you kind of know people, but you know, not really, uh, but it really got me into thinking, um, about two things this weekend. Um, number one, who you surround yourself with. And my cousin came to visit and she, I've spoken about her on the show and I absolutely adore her. I admire her for her uh, ability to be fiercely, fiercely individual. And really she dances to the beat of her own drummer. And I, she and her husband moved to this kind of remote part, this foresty part of Washington. And they live on like, (laughs) just like a rad kind of off the grid mm, homesteady fucking weird life and I love it and I got to see her and she and I got to talking about how um how unconsciously we both kind of married people who bring out the the side in ourselves that we wanted to see more of you know like when you you know you're attracted to certain people unconsciously and I'm not talking like just romantically I'm talking about friendships you know that saying when the student is ready the teacher arrives and I think we're drawn to friends or to spouses or business partner or whoever because unconsciously there's something that needs to be fulfilled worked out maybe they have something you don't have that you want to get more of um, and sometimes the relationships are negative sometimes you're attracting people to you who take the place of a parent that was maybe not kind or um, some figure in your life that you haven't resolved the issues behind and you'll keep attracting. I mean, I can't tell you how many, how many bad mommies I attracted over uh, the course of my adult life until I really worked out the issues in therapy that 
were underlying all that stuff. Because believe me, if you haven't worked out, um, your shadow self is like, that's the fucking, that's the hippie sign of what they talk about. You, you have a, everyone has a shadow self, right? It's the, the dark side of your force. It's the, um, the, the, those unconscious drives, those unresolved wounds from, from childhood. It's all, I believe I, Hey, I'm full psychoanalysis. I believe that it's all rooted in childhood and those, and I'm and not to say that that's good or bad or whatever the fuck, but you're wired a certain way. And then you either repeat dramas hoping that they'll turn out differently. That's what, that's the point, right? You, you attract the same negative situation, hoping that you can control it, change it, have some kind of um, agency over it or, you know, or you resolve those underlying issues and you stop attracting the same thing. And, and what I, by that, I mean, I'm not saying you literally attract the same person, but you'll attract the situation or scenario that mimics the emotional, the emotional environment of the early thing that you're trying to resolve unconsciously even sometimes, which is really, which is really what I talk about on this show is getting that unconscious stuff brought to the conscious level so that you can uh, deal with it. You can get to the feelings of it, get to the hurtness of it and then get your life. That's the whole, that's the whole fucking point is that you, (laughs) you get it to the conscious level so that you can get on with things and you can live a happy life. And that is why I advocate therapy on this show. I am not a substitute for actual therapy and I I can't I can't urge you enough if you're listening and you're depressed, you're anxious, you're fucked up and all this stuff go go go. Go until you find a therapist that works for you. And if you have no money, that is no excuse. When I started seeing my shrink that it, the shrink that I see now, I paid her maybe um 20 bucks a week. I'm not exaggerating cuz we were so broke. Um Google the words sliding scale therapy and your zip code. Sliding scale is the phrase you need to say that that means that they will charge you dependent upon how much money you can't afford to pay them. And, you know, a lot of really, really fantastic therapists are in their final hours of training and they're overseen by um, by other therapists that already have their PhDs or whatever. And they're in their, their hours, their qualifying hours or whatever. And, um, and that's when I caught my shrink. She's fucking brilliant in those qualifying hours. So they'll treat you on a sliding scale and and your case is overseen by more qualified or whatever credentialed people until they get their credentials and then they move on and then you guys work out a new arrangement. And we did for years and it's great. So sliding scale, guys, for anybody who is like, I can't, and, and then don't give me that shit about not having time. Don't, don't even, don't even get me on the time. You make time for the things that are important. We all know that. So reprioritize your life and get it. Okay, enough of that. But it got me into thinking about the people um, that come, that go, that stay, that influence you throughout the course of your life, your career, whatever. And I gave this radio interview a few weeks back in like Phoenix, I think. No, I don't know. Denver, Denver. And I remember the guy asked me, he goes, oh, you're, you're, who do you attribute your success to? Did it, did you do it yourself or did people help you? And I, you know, when you answer a question and you're like, oh, I wish I could go back and re-answer that. Cause I didn't answer it, uh, the way I wanted to, like at the time, I think he was trying to be funny or we were trying to be funny. And I kind of, I kind of got hooked on the word success. And I was like, look, I am not. <laughs> I'm nowhere near as successful as I'd like to be. And I think that most people in show business, even Tom Cruise goes, look, I could be more successful. So I, I was focusing on that end of the question as opposed to um, the part about people. 
And uh, one time I was listening to Pharrell talk to Oprah Winfrey about this very thing where he's like, you know, I mean, he's so annoying. I, I fucking, I know he's a really talented guy, but he's also one of these guys that really drank his own Kool-Aid in my opinion of like, I mean, he's fucking talented. Like, don't get me wrong. He's talented, but he's also one of those people that I, he never smiles in pictures on Instagram. And you know me guys, I'm a student of Instagram and I, I just, I, I, I have such, I have such weirdness around people who don't like, how do you maintain your cool that much? Like you, you never just swept away by the joy of taking a photo with somebody that you have to smile. Like I smile like a douchebag and like every picture almost, I have to contain my joy. Um, and my uncomfortability, it's really uncomfortability. I think of taking photos. I don't, I don't enjoy it. I just, ugh. especially selfies, ugh, barf. I can't do it. But so Pharrell is always very serious and very artistic. And he was t- talking to Oprah about how, you know, there's so many people who helped me on the way up. And my music teacher, when I was in fifth grade, he handed me a flute and I put that flute up my ass. And then my mom, she gave me a bowl of macaroni and cheese. And that inspired me to write the song happy because it made me happy. like all these stupid. And it, he was so like overly barfy, effusive about the people that help. And I was like, all right, I get it. But don't you think some of it had to do with you? Like you were just kind of natively, um, you know, uh, talented and, and yeah, they saw it in you, but, and then now I realized too, like, wow, there's so many people that got me to filming that special on Saturday, like so many people. And I mean, even the people who didn't give me what I wanted in the past, like, I'm so thankful that I did not shoot that. I had an, I had an opportunity of, a couple years ago to do one and the deal was not right for me. And I, I refused it. And, and I remember at the time thinking like, Oh no, that's it. That could be, that was it. That was the, you know, the shot. And then like, no, I just was patient. And then the opportunity came and it came in, in an even better way, shape and form. I was a better comedian. I, I'm a bit more grounded now that I have a child and a family, like, you know, whatever I, I'm more grounded and it was way less anxiety inducing than it, than it would be a couple of years back. I'll tell you, I was way more neurotic two years ago, way more me, 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 my, my problem. I'm, I, me, my, mom, me, mama. So it is, the, it is the people along the way. And, and, and I, like I said, it's not just the positive people. It's not just the, you know, my sweet loving husband who has, fucking taught me how to be a person and not a wild animal that I was when I met him. Um, I shrank. It's been friends who have encouraged me, who've been so supportive. Um, but it's also been the shitheads. When you think about it too, the shitheads have just as much, um, to do with shaping me as the positive people. And I say shitheads in a lovingly, in a loving, odd way, because, Whenever we attract and entertain the shitheads, you're always going to attract the shitheads. That that stuff I don't think ever ends. But uh, it's whether or not you uh, invite the shithead in, let the shithead sit on your couch, let the shithead eat your fucking oatmeal, and then you know throw the bowl on the floor. That's what I'm talking about. So the shitheads, when you think about them, and this could be romantic shitheads, business shitheads friendship shitheads what they do is they let you know "Uh uh-oh boo boo Uh uh-oh this is your red light Uh uh-oh what have you not worked out that you're entertaining the shithead 
because like I said, you're never going to, there's crazies everywhere. It's not that there's people that are, that are, yes, evil. I believe inherently evil, born shitty. Uh, there's people that are manipulators, sociopaths, narcissists, um, schemers, soulless, um, evil succubus sent here to ruin everyone else's good time. And then there's nice people, but there are shit bags. And, uh, and I, and I think what they have taught me is like, why did I let the shit bag in? That's the real thing is like, they're going to knock, but it's up to you whether or not you let the succubus in. You know what I'm saying? Like the vampire has to be invited in. Uh, even in the Twilight movies, right? I believe, <laughs> I believe you have to invite, no, you have to invite the werewolf in. Uh, but traditionally you have to invite the bloodsucker in and that's a wonderful metaphor. And I don't know who came up with this shit, but the vampire movie, all the lore of the vampire is essentially allowing narcissists, sociopaths, scumbags into your life. So the vampires exist throughout in the world. They're going to knock on your door, but the vampire has no power over you unless you open the door. That's a crazy thing. So don't open the door. And, and, and if you do make the mistake of opening the door and they get in, it means that you've got work to do. And so I'm thankful for every vampire, um, that's come in and out of my life because the vampires show you where your blind spots are, your, your unresolved stuff, because if your stuff is resolved, you would never invite the vampire and you'd recognize it quickly. You go, Oh, that's a vampire. I'm out of here. And then you turn the hell around, you get out of there right? But if you don't know what your stuff is, if you don't know what unconscious stuff is driving you, then you get tangled up in their bullshit and you can for years and it's man. And then, and then it's tricky, but, but I'm so thankful for the vampires who have come and gone in my life because it, do, it did show me like, Oh, that, Oh, that's what I'm doing here. Oh, okay. Cause it's never about the vampire, by the way, I don't fault these people. It's about the original wound. It's about the original thing that created the sore spot that you haven't fully worked out. And then those people kind of, they, they feed into that blind spot of yours. They don't do it intentionally. Some do. Some are sociopathic, crazy, legit weirdos who know how to do that stuff. Some, most people are doing it unconsciously, I, I believe. I believe people are inherently good. I don't believe people are inherently bad, but... Um, yeah, but it's up to you to find those spots. And um, anyway, hopefully the show will help you about that. Uh, also, I wanted to talk about preparation. And I, uh, my agent, after we filmed both shows and they were really great and, and everybody was really happy and you know everyone's back slapping each other and high-fiving in the green room after. And I immediately rip off my outfit because I'm wearing like five layers of Spanx under them. And I hate, you know, <laughs> I don't wear, I hate that stuff. I hate shapewear. I hate dresses. I hate everything. And I'm, I'm standing there just stripping down in front of my agents and <laughs> executive producers and all these people. And they're trying not to, not to watch me get undressed, but I don't care. Once you've got a kid, you've got a mom bod and I, my, you know, your body takes on a different meaning. Once you've had a child that becomes totally functional, <laughs> you, you want to look at these tits, be my guest. Cause I sure as hell don't <laughs> go for it. So I'm stripping down and, uh, we're sitting there 
and I'm having my glass of Pinot Grigio and just kind of quietly talking to my cousin who I haven't seen in a while. And my husband's chatting with the agents and, and, uh, and my agent looks at me and he goes, he goes, do you realize you just taped a comedy special? He's like, you're so, you seem so calm. And, and in my head I go, yeah. And I think part of that was like, yeah, I didn't, you don't really realize the gravity of some shit sometimes. Like sometimes the biggest things happen and they come and they go and you don't even realize it. And sometimes opportunities show up and it can be in like the form of just an email or, you know, somebody fucking DMs you and it's like this big opportunity and you don't even realize it. And most of the time, the biggest players often come in the most unassuming packages. I've learned that too, is that the ones who talk the big talk generally aren't the big shit. The big shit usually happens subtly. The big life-changing stuff happens and it's it just happens under your nose and you don't even realize it. So... I was sitting there and I was thinking to myself, well, yeah, I'm really thankful. I'm actually, all I wanted for this taping all and all I want going into anything that requires um, being under pressure is to, to be present. And it's so corny and I fucking hate it. And it's very Oprah to say, but you like my whole desire for this wasn't even that people like me or that it, it's successful, but that I am able to be connected to my own brain because it's really easy to disassociate when you're under pressure and I mean, any performer knows this like whether you're a dancer or or any kind of performance artist like you know sometimes you let the crowd get to you and then you disassociate and you, you're not connected to your thoughts and feelings and all I wanted was to be connected and um and I got to thinking like, well, how can I maintain that connection? And well, meditation is really important. I, I did transcendental meditation a while back and I was meditating a lot. And, and also I got to thinking about the ego and your mind, the closer you get to success or failure will fuck with you. You best believe that when something big is coming up for you, whether it be an exam, uh, some big life thing that when you're close to success or failure, your mind will play tricks on you. It will fuck with you. So like I've heard that before, Marianne Williamson talks about this and her, you know, talks on iTunes, which you can download. They're awesome. Um, and I heard my ego talk some shit. I heard that motherfucker talk some shit right around Monday, right around Monday before a week before I taped Saturday and Monday morning I woke up and I was hearing some shit, some chatter. And I was like, that's interesting. What is that? Where is that coming from? What is that? What's the negative chatter about? And you realize that the, the negative chatter is just the mind. It's just, it is what it is, whatever unresolved. Uh, it, sometimes the voices aren't yours. They're stuff that you've heard growing up from other people. They're, they're um, it's usually not from you. I don't think so. Uh, when you tell yourself bad things, I found that, I mean, look, no baby, and I know this from raising a human right now, babies are not born hating themselves. Nobody's, nobody comes into this world saying, ah, oh, my stomach's fat and uh, my legs are too chubby and how gross that I shit into a diaper. Like, you don't judge that stuff until somebody else tells you to judge that stuff. That's the crazy part is that some grown-up, some well-meaning grown-up along the way shames you for shitting in a diaper and now you're weird about taking a shit for the rest of your life. Like that's how it fucking works. So just know that you are born a divine, perfect being, child of God, yeah, blah, blah, stardust, yes, all of that. 
And then along the way, you learn who you are through other people. That's the only way we know how we, that's the only way you learn who you are is all these mirrors, these people around you who are supposed to mirror whatever. And sometimes you get negative messages that stick with you forever and ever. And you don't, you don't even know that it's not your shit. That's the crate. That's the, the unconscious stuff I talk about too, right? That, uh, for instance, my mother, she was so funny. She would always tell me, uh, she would always tell me that I was bad at singing. You're a terrible singer. Oh, you're a terrible voice. Never sing in public. And of course I sing as a joke all the time. I don't genuinely sing. And I think a lot of that is because somebody told me that <laughs> I was a terrible singer and I, it doesn't belong to me. And I know that, but, uh, but then you, you carry these beliefs for a long time. I'm no good at, um, I'm no good at swimming. I'm no good at math. I'm not good at reading. I'm not good at whatever it is. And it's not even yours. It's not even your thing. So the point is I invite you to look at these unconscious beliefs. Why aren't I, I'm not good at art. Well, how do you know that? Is that true? Is that really true? Um, or is that something that somebody gave you the message about somewhere in your past and now you've internalized that and that's nothing to do with you and know that the closer you get to doing something your heart wants you to do, the ego will fuck with you. The ego will, you know, the human brains want to preserve, um, uh, stasis, meaning we don't, we like, we don't like change humans. And so the brain, when it senses something is going to change, will fucking make you panic. No, stop. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't do the thing that's going to evolve you to get you to the next place because we can't handle the change. Humans don't, don't like change. Um, okay. So before I get into this tangent, I want to get into the first tangent. Uh, if you have not read the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, and you are somebody who is in the midst of achieving, if you are in your 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, and you're grinding right now, I hate that word grinding. I hate it. I love, but I love listening to Gary V say it, Gary Vaynerchuk. If you haven't found Gary Vaynerchuk on Instagram, do yourself a favor. He's great. I love him so much. Um, he talks about grinding. Everyone, everyone's grinding right now. That's the big thing. You, you must be working until your eyes bleed. And I don't subscribe to grinding anymore. I grinded out my twenties. I grinded out my thirties and, uh, and now I am gently coasting through my forties because I've, I've done the grinding. Okay. Um, but if you are in the midst of grinding, which is necessary, it is actually very necessary. I don't, I don't think you can lead a balanced life, um, in your twenties when you're trying to establish yourself. I think it's very normal to fall out of balance. Um, all this hippy dippy balance shit happens once, once you've established a few things, once you've established who you're going to partner up with your spouse, once you've established a career path, once you've decided on your, um, on God, and once you've resolved the kid issue, once you've got those four things squared away, then I believe, um, then I believe you are getting your life. Those are an, and therapy. Come on guys. You got to look back too before you can go ahead. But anyway, Read Malcolm Gladwell. The book is called Outliers. The word outlier meaning anybody who has achieved anything extraordinary. The people who are like the Beatles, the, um, who's that kid, the golfer, the guy, uh, Tiger Woods, who unfortunately just got pulled over for DUI or whatever, but, and had a little problem with hookers. <laughs> did achieve amazing heights of glory, however, uh, and who, I mean, really most people that are that driven have some kind of demon, some, something, something that compels them to over, 
overcompensate. But read the book. He talks about having 10,000 hours of practice. And um, your 10,000 hours of practice, the Beatles practiced for 10,000 hours in Germany, which is part of the reason they were so great at what they did. They played the standards over and over in Germany. In Germany, it was a Hamburg, I think Hamburg, in the basement. So they grinded out those hours and they got really good at what they did. Uh, and I am a firm believer in 10,000 hours of practice before you're good at anything. Uh, there are no shortcuts, Not certainly not in stand-up comedy. Uh, yeah, you can win a contest. You can... Um, get a big break on some sitcom or movie and people can know about you. But if they show up to your show and your show sucks because you don't have 10,000 hours under your belt of practice, you will lose your credibility as a stand-up comedian and uh, people won't pay to see you again. So there are no shortcuts. <laughs> My father used to say that all the time and I 100% agree there are no shortcuts. So do your 10,000 hours of practice and read Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. So hold on. We're talking about people. Oh, so I wanted to bring up this idea too of, um, gosh, I listened to this woman and I'm so sad that I don't remember her name. Sam something, Sammy. Uh, but this got me to thinking about, uh, there's a book by Fedor Dostoevsky, Russian guy in the late 1800s. Dostoevsky wrote a book called Notes from Underground. That was my Russian accent. Um, existentialist. The father of existentialism, I believe. One of the earliest works. I know Jean-Paul Sartre is considered to be also, but... Uh, this book by Dostoevsky, um, Notes from Underground, for me has this, I love this idea in it, um, the idea of inertia and overcoming inertia. Um, and this is why, this is very interesting. I, I don't believe in, um, I hate self-help because of the idea of like motivating yourself. I love Tony Robbins, but I would blow my brains out if I went to one of his seminars where he makes you jump up and down and get excited. I'm getting excited. Yeah, I'm going to achieve. And I got to tell you that personally, for me, that excited over the top, yeah, I'm fucking pumped energy going into life, going into the day is really, in my opinion, frantic, chaotic, and uncentered. And that frantic, chaotic, uncentered energy is not the energy you need uh, to go in and golf your highest golf games, Tiger Woods. I would tell you, I'm pretty sure Tiger Woods doesn't jump up and down and get frantic before he golfs um, or any great athlete. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming because they seem so centered. And to do that to me expels a lot of energy. Whereas I like to get calm and focused. For me personally, that ant energy is a fucking nightmare, okay? If anyone walks up to me super pumped, I'm like, dude, get the fuck away from me. I am I, terrified of you. So um, this idea in Dostoevsky, it's about inertia. And now the book, is a, there's a million themes, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but there's this idea of uh, the underground man who's writing the book. He calls himself the underground man because he fancies himself to be highly intellectual, um, smartest guy in the room. And he's saying that if you're conscious, um, that you're not 
going to be inclined. There's no point in acting. That's the whole thing, right? If I'm a conscious, if I'm enlightened, if I am a smart being, there's no point in doing anything. What's the point in, in, in doing shit? Like there's no point in being angry. There's no point in doing anything. And that it's usually the dum-dums who are acting. That's one of many, <laughs> if I could cruelly butcher uh, the work of Dostoevsky's Nose from Underground, that would be it, which is smart people don't do shit, dumb people do, <laughs> which is oddly true. And I don't know that Dostoevsky would appreciate me uh, cliff noting his work like that, but I, there's some truth to that, I, if I'm interpreting that correctly, uh, which is right. Which is right, because in my opinion, you're never going to mental fuck, mind fuck your way um, into being motivated to get the thing done. Inertia means you're not acting, right? That's the, the principle in physics. Something will stay at rest until another body moves it into motion, inertia. But there's also emotional inertia, which is what Dostoevsky is talking about. The, uh, the, you're so smart, you, you outthink yourself, right? You overthink yourself into not acting, and now the self-help world will tell you, well, you got to get pumped. You got to motivate yourself. You got to love what you do. You got to be full of passion all the time. No negative thoughts ever. Never get negative. Never get negative. And that is so far, um, so far from what it is to be a human. And I think it's really dangerous because what you're saying is like, I'm going to shut out these negative energies, guys. No, And that's why um, I think people that meditate and do yoga are so gross to so many of us is because you're like, well, all this shit about good vibes, Christina, and like, you know, um, good energy, positive energy. Like, it, it's good to have it. I'm not saying that. Hold on. My nanny's texting me and I always have a, okay, she's good. Um, that not that there's anything bad with positive energy, but the expectation that you should always be pumped and stoked and on top of your game and we're jumping up and down and we're fucking cartwheeling our way into doing it's like no 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 that's not how life works, boo-boo. Sometimes, some days, most days, most days, when you're grinding out your ten thousand hours of practice, right? You're becoming the Beatles, there are days where you don't want to do the thing that you know you have to do. Most days there, you know, every time I book a stand up show, Tom and I have this running joke in the house of like, ah, do I have to go? Fuck. Why did I book that show? Why did I, why did I do this? And I even right before I walked up to take my special this past weekend, I looked at him and I go, do you want to do this for me? Because I don't fucking want to, you know, you, when you ever want to do the thing that you know you have to do, you never fucking do. And the only way out of this inertia, the only way out of inactivity it's not through making yourself stoked. It's not through fooling your brain or endorphins or whatever fucking horse shit they're going to tell you. It really is through sheer force of will. That's it. Sheer force of will. Forcing yourself to be a fucking grown up and do the thing you don't want to do over and over and over and over. Because you know that there's a long game here, right? You know that in the long run, somewhere, some way, that's going to pan out. It's going to work out for you if you keep doing it, right? Past, what is it? Past behavior dictates future behavior. So if you're a winner in the past, you're likely going to be a fucking winner in the future. But it really, I think what separates people, at least what I've seen over the years, is that sheer force of will. Um, the initiative to pick up the camera as a beastie boy and go, no, 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 we're not going to let the the record company take these goofy ass photos. We're going to take our own photos and we're just going to take the initiative here. I'm going to pick up this wacky camera and we're going to make some stuff that's really out there and it's going to, and who knows, who knows who's going to like it and who knows whatever, but we're going to take the initiative 
And there is no other way. And I, you know, and, and how do I get there, Christina? Well, find what fucking, look, for me, and this is just the truth of it, for me uh, to get me through 14 years of being a comic and um, doing every fucking hibachi grill, seafood restaurant, dive bar, shit dump place as a comic, for me, uh, unfortunately, it was kind of a negative reason because I was a very angry teenager. I was a very angry youth and that anger really fueled me (laughs) into proving people wrong i want to show them i'm going to show you that i can do this and you know hey whatever works for you for me that anger really i rode that anger wave for a good couple of decades man was it the healthiest no (laughs) no not really um you know, do I wish that my motivation were more positive? Yeah, but it is now only through, you know, having worked out my issues, but, uh, you know, find your fucking thing. And for me, it was that. And I, I readily admitted to it that I was an angry person and, and that was my fuel. And, uh, you know, Hey, whatever gets you to point A and point B, I just knew I had to do it. So if you're trying to prove someone wrong, let that be your fuel. Let, let the negative fuel you. I don't know why it's so bad. (laughs) Is that is that what Tony Robbins would say? Let the negative side of your personality completely influence and fuel you to success. That's the only way. I mean, look, uh, most people become successful not because of the good stuff, not because of parents who told them they could do it and you can do anything. You do that, you, you become a good at stuff despite. John Lennon's mother abandoned him as, a, as an infant. Uh, his dad died. And yet at 15 years old, he knew to start the Beatles. You know what I'm saying? And I doubt it came from strong parental support and a good sense of self-worth and motivation. No. He was trying to get laid. He was trying to get the fuck out of Liverpool. He was trying to be a a rock star. What better motivation is that, man? (sighs) Anyway, it doesn't always come positive. And it's okay. And that's the point. And I think it's okay to have some negative fuel in there, in that tank. Because, man, oh, man, that's the one thing that kept my ass going. Okay, let's, uh, let's get on with it. Oh, one more thing I wanted to bring up. I um I uh I was thinking the other day too. I I uh I don't like to hide behind roles of victimization. It's an as a tangent to this too. Is that uh and I know right now it's like a, such a hot button PC topic to talk about privilege. Everyone's talking about white privilege, white male privilege, cisgender privilege. I see this on, and by everybody I mean whatever's on Facebook at the moment. I see a lot of this um, feminist dialogue, which is fantastic, and the gender dialogue, which is interesting and fantastic as well, and feminism. And I am a feminist, a thousand percent, absolutely. I I am a feminist, existentialist, uh, fucking vegan, paleo. I don't know what I am. I'm whatever. I'm I'm me. The point is, all this stuff is great. Social movements are great, but. Ultimately, I find it a little dangerous because people really sink into these victim roles of uh, the man is keeping you down and it's the structure, it's the cisgendered white male privilege is keeping every... And and again, it's important. I really do believe it's important to have these dialogues. I'm not poo-pooing them whatsoever. But on an individual basis, look, bitch, I'm just letting y'all know that as a 40-year-old girl, you think nobody told me I could do shit as a woman ever in my life, I never heard, you know, come on, there's no empowering messages, uh, in this, in the eighties for us. So 
you got to do, you got to do the best that you can in the time space continuum that you are living in. That's my point. Don't let the outside world fucking tell you who you are anyways. Who gives a shit who the president is? Who gives a shit who's in power? Who gives a shit if the the media makes you feel fat, ugly, uh, whatever? Who cares? They don't fucking live in your house. They don't sleep with you uh, in your bed. And you certainly don't let these assholes tell you how to live your life. Don't let anybody fucking define you. Why are you letting outside forces uh, mess with your brain? And I'm not saying that those forces don't have real consequences and real systemic um, prejudices. And absolutely, dude, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't exist. I'm just saying that on the flip side of it, on a day to day, get your fucking life, get your head out of your ass, wake up and just do the best you can with the circumstances you're given, man. You know, I don't know. I just, I feel like I see a lot of people hiding behind like, uh, and feminism and, I can't, I can't feel good about myself because they won't let me because the ads aren't, the models are making me feel bad. And the cosmetics industry is making me feel bad. Like, well, okay. Yeah. I know what you're saying. I I agree with you. I think it's all insidious and I think it's bullshit, but nobody can make you feel any less. You're doing it. Then don't look at it. Don't fucking don't buy into Don't believe the hype. You know, they're, they're not giving you an eating disorder. You're giving you uh, an eating disorder. So, you know, again, it's never about the fucking outside world, dude. It's never going to be perfect. The world is never going to be all-inclusive of every spectrum of every being. On I just don't think it's going to fucking, not in my lifetime, maybe in a few generations we'll get there. But until then, bros, like this is it. This, this is your 90-year span that you've got. You're going to let them... You're going to let them tell you who you are. You're going to let them make you feel fat and ugly. Okay, then let them. Then they, then they fucking win. And that, by the way, I don't even think that's their intention. Everyone's just trying to sell shit. Everyone's just trying to sell shit to you anyways, right? God damn it. All right. Let's get on with some emails, guys. Sorry, I'm rambling a lot today. I'm very emotional. Very big week. And um, yeah. I, I just, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm also reading an email as I'm talking. I'm so rude. I'm so rude. Okay, here we go. This comes from, uh, this comes from Erica. And I got a lot of emails about um, last, week's ep- last week's episode about codependency and having uh, parents who view you as the parent. Very interesting. This girl writes, Hi, Christina. I was just listening to your most recent episode. You talked about your unconditional love for your child and it made it sound so natural. That got me thinking, and it occurs to me that my mom's love has always been conditional. I've always known it's, what can you do for me? My mom has disowned and re-owned my brothers multiple times over the years when she feels like it. I know she does love us, but not unconditionally. I find myself as an adult hating it when people do nice things for me just because they want to. I prefer they don't. Because all I can think is, great, now I owe them. And it hangs over my head. It's almost like I resent their help. It's hard to enjoy others' kind gestures because I focus more on adding up how much I am indebted to them and how to pay them back. How do I start accepting the kindness and help of others? Thank you, Erica. Wow. Wow. I love that email. I love this email because do you hear the fucking layers in this? Do you hear how juicy that is and how insightful this girl is. Erica, I love it. This is very, very insightful of you. So 
you realize that your mom's a bit of a, a child. She's a lot. Sometimes it happens where parents look to the kid to fulfill their emotional needs. Sometimes their physical needs. If you have a, I've heard stories of alcoholic or drug adult parents who the the child has to literally tuck them into bed sometimes or pick the, you know, clean the vomit up off the floors. Um, and then there are other smaller ways. Um, gosh, I'm reading this book right now. Um, I, I heard about it on Kill Martin, Gil Martin's Kill Martin. That's Lori Kill Martin, the fucking funny comedian, Lori Kill Martin. Um, Paul Gil Martin's, let me find it. Um, Sorry, guys. Should have had this up on deck. Bookshelf. Oh, God. My affirmations. <laughs> I'm so crazy. I love, and I love uh, Louise Hay. Oh, it's under audiobooks. That's why. Um, the drama of the gifted child and then the emotional incest syndrome. Okay. The emotional incest syndrome. Um, I highly recommend this for anybody who grew up in a codependent weird parent-child dynamic where the parent uh, made you the parent and you had to emotionally care for them. So this isn't just about um, actual incest. or It's, it's not sexual necessarily, um, but it does cross boundaries that feel ooky and gross. And I think that's what a lot of us are like, wait, I don't like being around this person. I don't know why. Well, here's why. <laughs> Most probably because they weren't very parenty to you. Um, so this mother is what you can do for me. And that's a really, really harmful thing to grow up in as a child because now you are responsible for your parent. Um. There are meetings, there are CODA meetings, CODA.org. I believe you can look into that and you can meet other people that are going through the same thing, support groups. Um, and then these books, yes, um, The Emotional Incest Syndrome, I highly recommend that. And old school classic, The Drama of the Gifted Child by Alice Miller. Check that one out. I don't know if you've read that one yet. I'm, I'm in the process of reading both of these. So once I'm done, I will brief you guys fully because I just uh, love this shit. So I love this. Your mom has disowned and re-owned my, my brothers multiple times over the years when she feels like it. So it sounds like you were the chosen child. Sometimes parents choose a good girl or a good boy, and then they make the other ones bad. And it, you don't say that she, dis, she did that to you, but just your brothers. So extra, extra mind fucky. That's fun. That's neat. Thanks, mom. <laughs> so you probably feel some weird stuff towards your brothers too. A little maybe guilt whatever, maybe a little jealousy from them. I don't know. I'm reading into this. Um, okay. So of course you would feel weird when people want to do things for you out of the kindness of their own heart. Um, because a lot of the stuff your mother did, I'm just guessing was conditional for you. You knew that there were strings attached and that's usually what happens in these unhealthy parent child relationships is that there really is no unconditional just giving there are strings attached, right? You knew that there was a price to pay for the kindness um, that you were getting. And yep, I, I got it. Totally had that happening in uh, my mom, my mother and I's relationship. There's always a price to pay. Um, how do you get out of that? Okay. How do I start accepting the kindness and help of others? Um, I told you this week I would get into this discussion on boundaries and 
how you do that. <laughs> this is like, by the way, uh, boundaries is like, a, this is a, a 10 year thing for me learning about boundaries and feelings and stuff. Um, so I'm basically giving you the cliff notes on a subject that takes a, took me many years to learn and really should be worked out with a licensed therapist again. But, um, well, first of all, you have to surround yourself with safe people that are not manipulating you and not expecting things in return. And you have to do that by kind of working out all the other stuff. Because remember what I talked about at the beginning of this episode is like, you're going to keep attracting the mom types, the people that will make the kindness conditional or will expect something until you've resolved that underlying uh, mom stuff. So yeah, I'm sorry, but I do think you got to get your mom stuff right before you're going to attract the right people. But here, let's let's do boundaries. First of all, setting boundaries is one of those ubiquitous sort of like, what? What is that? Like, I, I, You hear this stuff, and I've heard it for years, and I was like, oh, yeah, I get that. That's just telling people fuck off, right? Isn't that just telling somebody to go away when you don't want them around? <laughs> and no, believe it or not, there's actually a lot more to establishing and um, upholding boundaries. Okay, so number one, you have to be able to identify that which makes you feel ooky. And how do you do that? Well, you kind of have to tune into your feelings. And those of us that have uh, problems with boundaries or have had them or whatever, uh, and when I say problems with boundaries, some people, and I didn't even know that I had those problems years ago, um, it's usually when somebody is overstepping them and you feel shitty, it feels bad to be around so-and-so, it feels bad to be in the relationship with so-and-so, and you just you know it feels bad and then you just keep doing it. So that's how you know that your boundaries are being violated. When you feel angry, when you feel depressed around somebody, anxious, you know that the, ugh, like that, ugh, that feeling is a boundary uh, violation. Now the problem with... Uh, people that have these issues is that you don't even know how to have the feelings. The feelings are, again, that's a language that you, you are taught as a young person. And, and if you're not taught, they, it gets harder. So try to tune into your feelings to begin with. Um, when someone acts in a way, this is a list I just found on psychcentral.com, 10 ways to build and preserve boundaries. When someone acts in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable, that's a cue to us. They may be violating or crossing a boundary. So, mm, Number one is identifying the ooky feelings. Hey, that doesn't feel good being around this person. Why? Number, and also name your limits. Um, You can't set good boundaries if you're unaware or unsure of where you stand. So identify your emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual limits. Consider what you can tolerate and accept what makes you feel uncomfortable or stressed. And a lot of times, those of us who, who grew up having our boundaries habitually stepped over don't even know what that means. You don't even know what that shit is where you're like, wait, wait, that's not, there are limits to things. Like I, I can rest when I'm tired. I can, um, not go over and do errands for this person when I don't feel like it. Um, and from, I remember personally, it started with like holidays. Like I don't want to go to five people's houses. I don't, I don't feel good going to, you know, mom's house, stepdad, dad, stepmom. I don't want to do that shit anymore. I want to do like one house because I'm exhausted at the end of the holiday, like things like that, where you go, Oh, I don't like that. And I will tell you that when you start to say, I I don't like that feeling. And then I'm going to make a rule about this with somebody like, Hey, uh, 
if you, for instance, uh, Paul Gilmartin in that episode on codependency and boundaries, they talk about parents who talk about their sex lives with you. If you have a parent that discusses their sex life with you, you can be like, hey, um, yeah, I'll talk to you, but the minute you bring up X, Y, or Z, I'm going to get off the phone with you. And you have to be direct. That's another one thing on this list is like, be direct. Hey, I, and say it just like that, not angrily and not in a shitty way. Just, hey, you know, I, I enjoy talking to you, but if you bring up X, Y, and Z, I will have to get off the phone with you. It's just, it's as cut and dry as that. And then you have to follow through on the boundary. Otherwise, that person, you're training that person how to treat you, right? And if you don't follow through, as, as I've learned with a the toddler, um, they will just continue to do the shitty thing to you over and over and over and over. So direct is great. And it will feel weird in the beginning when you put these boundaries down. I... I remember in the beginning, I was, you know, putting down certain rules with with certain people and it feels weird. You feel like a selfish, guilty turd. I remember before my mother's passing, I didn't, I didn't enjoy uh, being alone with her. This is like years and years before she and I stopped speaking, but I hated spending alone time with her because when she got me alone, she could be really mean to me. And I would, I made a rule boundary in my head of like, all right, I'm going to go see her, but I will always have a friend (laughs) because I can't do it alone. I cannot do this alone. Um, yeah. And it it takes, it takes, you feel like a bad girl. You feel like a bad kid. It's really a mind fuck, but just know that that's normal. (laughs) It's really, really, really uh, normal. Um, so that's that one. Practice self-awareness. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. Consider your past and present. We know this. This is what we talked about. What, what, consider your past. Who's a parent and who's a child? Being aware of that stuff is going to be, it's going to make you able to, um, identify the offenders, the people that are boundary steppers, if you will. Uh, it just helps to know. That's why therapy is so useful because you can go like, oh, that's that's what that is. That's why I don't like being around um, uncle so-and-so or whatever, whoever the fuck it is that you need to uh, deal with. And then uh, make self-care a priority. That's so important. It's so important. And I have to tell you that like, even now, I... It's, it's, I think about it in terms of like stand up. like a lot of people, like I was just talking to this newer comic and, the, and they're like, well, how do you know it's funny? How do you know? And there's this little voice inside of you, right? The small still voice that we talk about in meditation and Buddhism, blah, blah, blah. And the small still voice is the voice, that first voice, the voice that says, go for a walk, go for a swim, say this, do that, run away, blah, blah, blah. And then you ignore the voice, you shout over the voice and you go, I don't know, I don't want to, you overthink it, your ego steps in and fucks it all up for you. Uh, so same that goes with like joke premises. You'll be like, oh, that's really funny. Oh, but I can't say that because then these people will get mad at me and, and that, that kind of, the point is uh, those little, little whispers you hear that tell you to take care of yourself and how, like you should rest. You need, you need to rest. You need to go and exercise. You need to eat something. You need to blah, 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 blah. All that stuff, self-care, you need to stop working so much. Shit like that. A lot of people that grew up in with their boundaries constantly stepped over don't, don't um, assert their needs. That's what that is. And your needs are really important. Otherwise, you're such an unhappy person. You have needs. They're legitimate. That's the whole thing. Oh, man, man, man. 
Um, okay, start small. Like any new skill, assertively communicating your boundaries takes practice. Um, start with a small boundary that isn't threatening to you and then incrementally increasing to more challenging boundaries. Build upon your success, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Start small. That makes sense. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, here's a really neat one that I do and I, I encourage people. Um, I don't answer phone calls past a certain time in the evening. I don't read my text messages past a certain time in the evening and I don't check emails until a certain time in the morning. I think that's really important, uh, especially if you have people in your life that you don't necessarily want to deal with their fucking texts or their whatever. That helps. Um, it helps also just to clear a space for you, for your needs of quiet and of uh, recharging your own your own stuff. You know, you don't you don't need to address everything all the time. It's really really easy to get sucked into the twenty four hours on the email and texting. And blah, blah. it's really fucking exhausting. I'm sorry, I didn't get I I rambled too much this episode, and I I have some more emails that I would love to get to next week. Um. And I promise to do that. I know this episode went up late today. Sorry, guys. I'm just catching up. But I wanted to make sure that something went out today. This will be up on YouTube later than usual because I got to it later. Um, anyways, I hope you're having a great week. I hope you continue to have a great week. And um, until next time, that's been D Bros. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with philosophize with Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans This ain't your mom's house It's a different theme Gotta be critically thinking Like you caught up at a cocktail party Our thoughts start to sink in John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates Got us talking all properly, topically Just a comedian discussing these philosophies Serious questions, silly people What's that? That's deep, bro it is the ultimate metaphor for life and you know what that is what that's deep bro that's deep bro